beginning chapter 22 and learning about a brand new king. His name is Yoshiao. And so let's open up here in chapter 22 in Kings 2. Ben Shmona Shana Yoshiao Bemocho. And Yoshiao was eight years old when he became the king. And he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Yedida, the daughter of Adaya from Batskat. So let's uh, try to dissect this information piece by piece. He's eight years old when he becomes the king. Well, that's because we saw that his father Amon was assassinated. So he takes over. And that's really young, obviously, but it's not as young as Yoash. Remember Yoash? He was seven years old. And it's interesting that Yoshiao and Yoash, it's almost the same name. And they have a lot of similarities. First of all, again, Yoash ruled at seven. Yoshiao is ruling at eight because both their parents were assassinated uh, and they took over at a young age. Not only that, they both do a better kabayat here. Yoash uh, undergoes this huge renovation of the temple. And we're going to see today that Yoshiao is going to do the same thing. And besides that, both of them, Yoshiao and Yoash, they are raised by a Kohen who has to care for them. They're starting out so young. Obviously, they're being tutored and trained by, by uh, certain people. We had in the days of Yoash, it was Yehoyada the Kohen. And here it's Chukiao the Kohen. They're obviously very, very active in the kingdom because... We're talking about kings that are ruling at the ages of seven and eight. So Yoshiao is very similar to Yoash in name and other things. And he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. Now, 31 years is not a long time if you started to rule at eight. That means he died at 39. And that's what happened. He's going to uh, die a tragic death. We'll see the circumstances of that. And then we see his mother's name, Yedida which is very rare. As a matter of fact, it's a one-time thing. You have that name. You have your name, Yedidia. Yedidia is a common name for a, for a male. Like Shlomo was called Yedidia. But Yedida, without the Yud, that's very rare. The daughter of Adaya, Mibatskat. And Batskat, according to the Dat Mikra, is an area around Lachish. That's that southern fortified city in Judea. So what kind of king was Yoshiao? Verse 2. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in all the ways of David, his father. And he turned away neither to the right or to the left. So that's quite a description, a compliment for Yoshiao. This is a, a righteous king we're going to learn about here. As the verse says, he went in the ways of David, his father, didn't turn right or left. That's uh, pretty good after the previous disasters. Before him, we had Menashe and Ammon. And we saw in Oleshior about Ammon, uh, we saw a king, the father of Yoshiao, who was really worse than his father Menashe. Even though he only ruled for two years, we saw examples that he was actually more evil than all of them. Yet you can ask, if he was so bad, Ammon, how is he not counted as one of the kings who have no share in the world to come? I mean, his father Menashe is one of the three who have no share, along with Achav and Yeravam and Avad. Why, is it, why wasn't Ammon enumerated there? And the Talmud gives us the reason that in the merit of here, Yoshiao, the son, because he fathered a tzaddik, Ammon is saved from being in the category of 
kings who have no portion in the world to come. Because if one is a righteous son, that merit will save you in the next world. We saw that Talmud in another shiur. I went through the whole thing there. And it said, explain why Achaz, for instance, is not enumerated among the big three who have no share in the world to come. Because Achaz fathered a righteous son in Chizkiyahu. Menashe, on the other hand, isn't saved because he had a wicked son. And the fact that Menashe had a righteous father in Chizkiyahu, it's not going to help him, the Talmud explains. Because the son's merit can save the father. The father's merit can't save the son. And the logic is this. The father, he helps the son, Ba'olam Hazeh. He helps the son in this world. He does all he can for the son in this world. He provides for his son materially in this world. He can, live a big, he can leave a big Yerusha for his son in this world. But once this world is done, the father did all he could do. He can't help the son anymore. That's why Chizkiyahu couldn't save Menashe from judgment. And we saw in that Talmud we read many Shirim ago that Avram couldn't save Yishmael, right? The son can save the father in the next world, but the father can't save the son. Because the merits uh, of the son, they work for the father's neshama. He says Kaddish and so forth. And besides that, we say that if someone fathered a really righteous son, logically speaking, even if that father was very wicked, we figured that the father had something to do with it, right? At least he got out of his way. He let the kid be righteous. So that's why uh, Amon is spared from being one of the kings who have no place in the world to come because this Yoshiao, his son, was super righteous, as we're going to see. So let's go on to verse 3. And in the 18th year of King Yoshiao, that is, he's already 26 years old. So the Tanakh has skipped over 18 years already of his, of his uh, rule, right to the uh, 18th year when he's 26 years old. What happened? That King Yoshiao sent one of his men, one of his ministers, his name was Shafan, the son of Azaliao, the son of Meshulam. Now, when you give such a yichus, or you go with the family line, that means these are important people. And they are from Bayat Rishon, this family of Azalia and Meshulam. So he sent Shafan, one of his men, and he's the sofer. Shafan ben Atzial ben Meshulam has sofer, the scribe. Now, the scribe is not somebody who writes mezuzahs in the palace or tefillin. A scribe was somebody from a Bechira Sarim. He was a important person in the king cabinet, like we had a... Shevna the scribe. These are like the main guys next to the king. So he sends this Shafan, Ben Atzaliel, Ben Meshulam, the Sofer, to Beit Hashem, to the house of the Lord. He sends it to the temple and he says, Alei el Chilkiyahu HaKohen, go up to Chilkiyahu, the high priest, v'yetem et ha-kesef, Beit Hashem, and let him gather up all the silver that was brought to the house of the Lord, asher sfusho mayasaf, that was collected by the treasurers from the people. So what's happening now is that uh, Yoshiao gives an order uh, to, to uh, Shafan to go to Chilkiao, to the temple, and gather up the money from the treasuries that was collected from the people. They had the treasuries, right? Money was collected. It could be that he's going to the Levites. They're called Shomrei HaSaf, collected from the Shomrei HaSaf. So that Literally means the guarders of the threshold. But we're talking about either the treasurers, according to the Tergum Yonatan, or the Levites. Go to them, and what are you going to do? In verse 5, And you give that money into the hands of the the workers, into the foremen, the people who work. 
המפקדים בבית השם, those workmen, those, those uh, artists and workers and, and בעלי מקצוע, you know, people who know how to fix things, they'll elaborate in the next verse who, who, who we're talking about. המפקדים בבית השם, ויינו אותו לעושה מלאכה, give it to the uh, workers, אשר בבית השם, in the house of the Lord, לחזק את בדק הבית, to repair the damage to the temple, and there it is, בדק הבית. The renovation of the temple, Yoshiao wants to carry out, just like Yoash did, 224 years ago. That was the last time we had a Bedek Abayit. That was the gap between Yoash and Yoshiao. We're doing it again. A lot of time has passed. A lot of wear and tear on the temple. You got, you, you got to figure Menashe was trashing it. Amon was trashing it. It's got to be renovated. So we're going to have a Bedek Abayit. And it continues, who are these who are these workers? Lecharashim, to the carpenters. Lebonim, Godrim, to the builders, to the masons. Liknotetzim vavnei machsev, to purchase wood and stones, right? Yeah, quarried stones. Lechazeket abayit, in order to strengthen the temple. So that's what they're organizing here. Abedek abayit, to renovate the Beit HaMikdash. Verse 7, Ach lo yechashev itam, Don't reckon with them. Don't make a cheshbon with them. We trust them. Don't worry. You give them the money. You give them the silver. We trust them to deal honestly. And then we have the same thing with Yoash, by the way, and his Bedekabayat. They trust the workers. Just give them the money. It's Avoda Ivrit. It's Jewish labor. They're not going to cheat us here. Okay, verse 8. And then Chilkiyahu, the high priest, said to Shafana Sofer, I found a Torah. A Torah Matzati. Sefer Torah. Call a Torah scroll. In the house of the Lord. And Chilkiyahu gave the scroll to Shafan and he read it. They're reading a Torah scroll. Verse 9. And Shafan the scribe came to the king. And he brought back word to the king and he said, Your servants have melted the silver that were in the temple. They've given it into the hands of the, of the workers. who were appointed over the house. So Shafan, when he comes to the king, he doesn't talk about that Torah scroll, which is obviously something big. First he talks about the regular stuff, that all the workers are going fine. And now he talks, he mentions now this finding of this Torah scroll. Verse 10, And Shafan the scribe told the king and he said, Sefer Natan Lechilkiyahu Kahim. Chilkiyahu, the priest, priest, he gave me a scroll, a Torah scroll. And Shafan read it before the king. So Chilkiyahu, the priest, is reading this Torah scroll before the king. And when the king heard the words of the, of the Torah scroll, he rent his garments. Okay, let's stop right here. I mean, what's going on? This is absolutely one of the most puzzling episodes of the Bible. This found Torah scroll. And they read it to the king and the king that rents his garments. What's going on? Why did he rent his garments? 
And there's tens of theories of what, what's going on here in the commentaries. And this episode also, by the way, happens to be like fodder for the Bible critics. The Bible critics who want to always prove the Bible's not divine, it was written at different times, they love this uh, this episode to prove that here they found a they found a newly discovered Torah that never existed before. But we'll get to that later on. First, let's get to the commentaries, uh, our commentaries, and let's open up with the Mitzvah David. The Mitzvah David is a shot commentary, a very important one. If you want to learn Tanakh, I would advise learning with Mitzvah David if you want to cover ground. And so the Mitzvah David is going to try to explain what is this found Torah scroll all about? What's this big revelation here? And he explains like this, uh, he brings a Midrash that says that in the days of Ahaz, the evil Ahaz, about four kings ago, the priests hid the Torah under a layer of stones because Ahaz was burning Torahs. And years went by, and this Torah remained hidden. Uh, since that generation passed away, nobody knew it was hidden. And then, many years later, during King Yoshiao's time, while they were doing these renovations, things were moved around, taken apart, and the Torah scroll was revealed, it was found, and brought to the king. And he rented his garments, according to the Mitzvah David, because when he read it, he realized for the first time how much his kingdom is not aligned to the Torah. So the Torah was out of circulation from the days of Ahaz. The problem is, what about Chizkiyahu? He came after Ahaz, and Chizkiyahu spread a lot of Torah, did he leave some Torah scrolls around after his death? I mean, how could it have been out of circulation? And that's why the Radak comes along. He differs with the Mitzvah David and says that it's not since Ahaz, but what happened before Yoshiao? You have Menashe, 55-year reign of rampant idol worship and a war against Torah in the days of Menashe. The Torah was all but forgotten. You add in Ammon's two years after Menashe, another reign of terror, then you added the beginning of Yoshiao's reign when he didn't know anything. That's a long time for the Torah to be out of circulation and therefore it was neglected and forgotten. And so when they found the Sefer Torah, it was like given a new, that's how the Radak explains it. It's not that much different than it's that David actually. Now the problem with this Radak though is that it says in Chronicles that Menashe repented and knew Hashem. And we learned that. He got rid of the idols. So you'd think that at some time during his tshuva, during his repentance, the Torah would be renewed. He would make an effort to take it out and read it once in a while. It shouldn't be something that new to this generation's, to this generation. Besides, you're going to tell me nobody knew what the Torah was during the years of Menashe and Ammon. There weren't priests and tzaddikim learning it uh, who kept the Torah. Moreover, if the Radak is right, that the Torah was just out of circulation, then how could, how could we say at the beginning of the chapter, you know, in verse 2, that Yoshiao was righteous and a big tzaddik. He didn't veer right or left. How could he be righteous without a Torah? I mean, where was he getting his mitzvahs from without a Torah around him? And that's why, and now I'm going to bring what I think is the most plausible explanation is from the Abarbanel. And the Malbim says this, and we're going to bring a big proof to this just from the scripture itself. They say that this whole approach is totally off what the Radak is saying, what the Mitzvah that David said, they say that the surprise was not in discovering a Torah scroll. The surprise was finding the original Torah, the Torah scroll, the one that was given to Moses by God. Yes, there was an original Torah given by God to Moses, from which all the other Torahs were copied from. How do we know? Well, you go to the end of the Chumash, chapter 31, 
it's almost the end of the Chumash, because after that you have like poetry and Ha'azinu and Zot Bracha. This is like Pashat Vayelech, when you're getting to the end of the plot. And what's going on? Moses is on Mount Sinai, writing the Torah, as Hashem dictates to him. And here's what the verses say. We're in chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, verse 24. And when Moses finished writing the words of this Torah, Ad Tom, Tomam, until the very end, Moshe then commanded the Levites, Nosei Aaron Brit, who carried the ark, and when he told them, Take this Sefer Torah scroll, take this Torah scroll, and place it to the side of the ark of God, and it will be there a witness for you. Okay, so in the Holy Ark of the Temple, as we see, Moses says, put, along with the Ten Commandments, we know that was also in the Holy Ark, this original Sefer Torah that Moshe brought down from Sinai. And that's explicit here. In Deuteronomy, that's what they found. The original Sefer Torah of Moses. And this, by the way, is backed up in Chronicles. If you look at Chronicles 34, the parallel narrative, there it talks about the same thing, the Bedek Abayit. And then when they found the Torah, listen to what it says. And they brought out the money, that was brought to the house of the Lord. Chilkiyahu, the priest, found the book of the Sefer Torah given by Moshe. Given by Moses. It says that specifically, he found that specific Sefer Torah, Biyad Moshe, the original. Now you can still ask, what happened to the original? Why did it get lost and found again? Well, then it goes back a little bit what we said with Radak and Mitzvah David during the reign of the evil Manasseh. The priests hid the original Torah scroll, the original one from Moshe Rabbeinu, took it out of the ark, out of a fear that Menashe would abuse it. Because we saw the Midrashim that Menashe cut out the holy names from the Torah. And they took it out of the holy ark. They hid it between the two rows of stones in the temple. And during the Bedek Abayit, during the temple repair project that we've been learning about here, it was discovered because those priests who hid it decades earlier passed away. It was forgotten until Yeshua's generation, and they found it. But it's not like the first time they ever saw the Torah. They just never saw the original one that had been in the ark. It's likely that Yoshia had been looking for it. Anyway, this is the surprise. They were overwhelmed that they found the first and original Torah written by Moshe, Biyad Moshe, that we alluded to in Deuteronomy. And by the way, that's why Chilkiyahu, what does he announce? Sefer HaTorah Matzati. I found the Sefer Torah. The Sefer Torah. Not a Sefer Torah, but the original one, the specific Sefer Torah, written by Moshe, that had been placed in the ark, but was removed in the days of those evil kings. And that is um, how we, a uh, best way to explain it, I think the Malbim, the Barbanel, Rav Steinjeltz, many, many others also adopt this view. And we also now have to explain, though, why King Yoshiao rent his garment. Why did he rent his garment? He should be happy he found the original Torah scroll of Moses. We'll get to that, but before we do, I would be remiss if I didn't bring down the interpretation of the Bible critics uh, on this episode. You know, those professor types whose field of study is to scrutinize the texts. Their goal, basically, uh, of these Bible critics, it's basically to prove that the Bible is not divine, that it's man-made, etc. And they see this particular episode as evidence that the five books of Moses were not written all at one time. We, of course, say that all five books of Moses were written at Sinai. But from this episode, they deduce that this newly discovered Torah scroll was the book of Deuteronomy. 
And they say this book of Deuteronomy was just found now during the days of Yoshiao, not at Sinai was it written. How do they come up with that? Well, stay tuned for our next year.